Okay. Well, we got a light. We've got a light crowd. We've got. Uh, it is the elite crowd. It's it's the top shelf. It's the creme of the crop. May I ask, or suggest, recommend, or otherwise encourage you to take seats there, that I might have a more direct audience. Softness. If you're going to fall asleep, then don't sit there. You know. Stand in the back. Look, you get the uh, you get the uh, plush chair now. Okay. We do want to pray for Johnny tonight. Um, he called and said he's had. Uh, uh, I think I'm I'm quoting uh, one of the worst days of his life. Uh, he was speaking to me standing outside his car uh, while the police officer took the. Report regarding his accident, which evidently was caused by an uninsured motorist. Uh, so he is uh, beside himself, and he uh, he indicated that it might be better to just go home and have a glass of wine and just chill. <laughs> I suggested that perhaps an hour or two of theological discussion and then a glass of wine to unwind might be, uh, among the brethren, yes, might be actually uh, more apropos and fitting, but uh, he indicated that he would uh, take it under advisement. Um, I believe that uh, Noah spent the weekend with uh, a family in Pennsylvania uh, that is uh, examining examining the uh, whole Torah question, and uh, I've been praying for him. And uh, of course, uh, we heard about Joshua Spurlock, who is, uh, of course, in the journalism business. And if you're in the journalism business tonight, there's much a happening. We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk tonight about uh, I think it's Jonathan Pollard and uh, Galid Shalit. Uh, so we'll we'll speak on that. But I digress. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who set us apart in order to sanctify us with His commandments and instructed us to occupy ourselves with words of Torah. Adonai, our God, please make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the family of Yisrael, so that we, our offspring, and the descendants of your people, the family of Yisrael, all of us, may be knowers of your name and learners of your Torah, Lishma. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael, Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations to give us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. So, first of all, is it Galid Shalit? Who is Galid Shalit? Anybody know? Gene Shalit. Gene Shalit. Very close. That movie was great, but no, Senor. Lachalit is an IDF soldier who was kidnapped by Hamas. Four and a half? I was going to say three or four years ago. Three or four years ago, yeah, almost four years. It's been 
held in captivity Yes, and we just found out that the nation of Israel has decided to release a little over a thousand Palestinian prisoners, over 300 of which were serving life sentences for terrorism. So our friend Joshua is, of course, reporting on this topic and trying to get the truth, um, but it is an amazing thing. I'm reminded of... Uh, of our military and some of our military groups have the watchword of never leaving a man behind. In the IDF, that actually comes down to giving your life, if necessary, to bring home a body. So, um, he's busy with that. The second name I would raise to your attention is Jonathan Pollard. Jonathan Pollard. Does anybody know who he is? You already had a chance. Yes, sir. Jonathan Pollard. I probably don't know. I was thinking Pollard, the prime factorization guy. The prime factorization guy. Sure, yeah, yeah. No, it's not him. It's possible, but I doubt it. He's a political prisoner being held by the United States in the state of North Carolina. In the state of North Carolina. Yes, right here in River City. And do you know what he did? He passed documents of a secret nature from us to the state of Israel. This, this is normally a two-year sentence. But because it was Jonathan Pollard and perhaps because he's a Jew, they charged him and then sentenced him to 20 years. Normally two, he got 20. It is enraging. It is. It's disgusting. What they've done to him, other people have visitation or whatever else. He, they have, they Nobody can get to him. He has asked for anything. They have slapped him in the face. Nobody can get to see him. His on his deathbed. I mean, just really sick stuff. Yeah. And you know, who's, um, several years now, I think six years? Or more than that. Ten years? Yeah. And you know the... Yeah. He is ill, but that... That didn't change anything. Right. And our vice... terrorists out when they're ill. Uh, oh. So does uh, what, Scotland, is Scotland. it? Yeah. Um, uh, in addition, uh, one other note, our, our vice president is a Jew. He was approached by a Jewish coalition uh, in order to discuss the release of Mr. Pollard. And he didn't want to talk about it the first three times. The fourth time he talked about it and said that he would... Yeah, that's what, evidently. Hey, that's what I heard. It was not an issue during the campaign. Not an issue, but it's my understanding. I mean, because the Jewish community speaks to him like he is... Familia. Hey, so anyway, he, he did not want to talk about it. He did speak about it this last time and said that he would talk to the president. So, yeah, exactly right. So, uh, Arut Sheva is, is big on trying to make it clear that Jonathan Pollard is being held in dire circumstances in our own country. And it's, it's obvious a political thing. So, right here in River City, you might want to write to your... Yeah, you might want to write to your... Uh, yeah, think, ah, be nice. And then uh, 
So that was that. So we've got the two prisoner deals. There was one other thing. And of course, of course. Saudi Arabia. Eh, one Saudi Arabia, although that's, that's amazing. Um, it turns out that uh, uh, Iran evidently has uh, been uh, looking to assassinate the ambassador from Saudi Arabia while he's in the United States, while he's in our, our nation's capital. Assassinate the guy. Uh, I, yeah, I just can't go further than that, but the MideastUpdate.com will uh, we'll have that for you later tonight. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, okay. So, we've got a lot to pray about. We've got a lot to think about. We've got a lot to be able to articulate and talk about to friends, family, and others. Uh, because uh, stuff's going on, guys. Stuff is going on right here in River City. We're going to talk about uh, some really cool things tonight. It's going to be a, a relaxed time, but uh, I do want to finish up the fifth point of tulip. Tulip. I figured by now you should have it memorized. The T means total depravity of man. It's important, I think, to add that because, you know, you never know when you're talking to a person who's been raised in America, you never know if they understand that you're speaking about man and not God because they may think that God is totally depraved. I know that, you know, Alex deals with a lot of people on Friday afternoons on the street corner that believe that God is depraved. And so we need, to, we need to add that. So the total depravity of man. The you? Unconditional grace. No, unconditional election. Yes, so we're talking about the, the selection of those who would be saved. And we know that he elected Israel. He chose a people. And it had nothing to do. Not Presbyterians. I know it's shocking but true. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we do know for sure that the, the Bible tells us that God did not choose Israel or Abraham because he was tall, dark, and handsome or happened to look like Omar Sharif, which some people say he did. But, but actually, because he would, uh, he would teach his children. And his children's children what? Torah, and to be obedient to God's commands, and to his judgments, and his mitzvot, and so forth. So that's great. Okay. So the uh, T, U, and the L. The L is limited atonement. And certainly we, we understand that he's atoned for Israel. And as Gentiles, which we all are, we have no hope of salvation unless we join ourselves to Israel. So whether we want to agree fully with all the tenets or not, we understand that there is some limit of that atonement. Um, and we can argue from there, but we've discussed that. T-U-L-I, the I. Irresistible grace. When God puts his calling upon a man, it will come to pass. Primarily because he's not just another guy. He's God. So, we discussed that and uh, the ramifications, the Arminian response and so forth, but the, the sense of the irresistible grace, and there's, there's a lot of argument on both sides. My concern is that we discuss these so that we understand the theological ramifications. And finally, tonight, perseverance of the saints. And you may think that perseverance of the saints has to do with once saved, always saved. I can give my life to Messiah and live like hell. Because... 
I'm in the family. Sort of like a life insurance policy or maybe better fire insurance. That's the Southern Baptist That's right. That's right. That's right. But that is not, in fact, what Calvin taught. Calvin taught that if you are truly saved, you will persevere to the end in holiness. That, in fact, your life has been so changed. In fact, you're a new creature in Messiah, and you're different now. And nothing would cause you to fall away permanently. That you would desire to stay in the faith. That you would, because of your new nature, you desire to please Him, you will undergo persecution, and you will not relent permanently. So, from that point on, salvation is inevitable for the elect. Salvation... More strong than inevitable. Yes. It's accomplished, yes. Salvation physically or spiritually, right? I mean, I, I think many of the passages we look at have to do with the physical salvation. The, these dire times that will come in the end. And those who persevere to the end, as it says, will be saved. Well, this doesn't appear to be a discussion about, at that point, a place in the world to come. But rather, if you hang in there, I will show up and I will save you. Right? The, uh, the ones who are truly saved will persevere in holiness to the end. Philippians 1, He who began a good work in you will bring it to fruition. Um, if you're truly saved, you'll demonstrate it by living it out. I personally believe that 100%. I can't know that Mike is saved, but I can certainly look at his walk, and I can look at the fruit in his life, and I can make an intelligent judgment on that. And... Uh, if I speak with Mike about his life before Messiah, I can see a before and after picture that's striking. And, uh, and it raises a, a, a big uh, question about, is this the same guy? And of course it's not. It's a new creature. I was going to say, when you were first putting your hand on my shoulder and you said I could look at Mike and his, and I thought you were going to say wallet. <laughs> oh my goodness. You said we were going to keep it light. Today. That's right. That's right. It's okay. We're not going there, Mike. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Woo! And Mike's feeling better now. That's good. That's good. I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to hear. Yes, indeed. I was poor before and now I'm rich. No, that's right. Wait, that's not right. That's not what I meant. John 10. No one can snatch them from my hand. Okay. Romans 8, no one can separate us from the love of Messiah. Well, what a great song. If you don't know the song, you know, the, the depths and the heights and the, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's a very cool deal. God is God. He is alone worthy of praise and no one can boast. Right? So that's the, that's the Calvinist position. I think the Arminian response is, uh, is, is picking on one particular point. God will perfect will perfectly finish what he begins in us. He is a Savior who saves. He will keep us from beginning to end. But God warns us repeatedly about the danger of apostasy. I think these guys happen to be on the same sheet of music in this particular case. If you fall away and choose to, let's put it in colloquial terms, to move over to the dark side, uh, I, I don't have any problem with that. It doesn't, it doesn't affect perseverance of the saints at all in my mind because I look at that and I say, 
Christ's never been saved. He's not a new creature. He's the same creature, but he was faking it. He was a sheep in wolf's clothing, or a wolf in sheep's clothing, depending on who he was with. That's right? right? <laughs> How do we reconcile that with the olive tree metaphor? Because they're obviously the ones that were grafted in believed. Yes. Well, now, now we're specifically talking about Jews. So I think we've got a different ballgame going. Well, I mean, they're wild olive branches. They can theoretically also be broken. But theoretically they can be, but that's never happened. That's not what it says. It's talking about the natural branches that were broken I think off. There are other, I think there are other passages that are probably stronger than the metaphor. And the reason why is because we, it's very difficult to uh, come up with absolute theology for yeah. Analogy or yeah. whatever else. I mean, it's a great one, and I, you know, we certainly would hold to it. But you know, then we're going to start talking about, well, you know, grafted in. You know, what kind of grafting are we using? You know, you know, is there some, is there some pitch involved? Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you start using the analogies or the metaphors or the idioms to begin to establish absolute truth, we maybe step beyond the beyond what the what the metaphor was intended to teach. But and to his point. Um, Hebrews six is very strong. You know, he who's you know who's tasted, he's tasted, and uh, should walk away. You know, and should and, and fall away. It says it's better that he never uh, been saved, never tasted that. Yeah. yeah. Then Peter says like a dog returning to, to the vomit. Yeah. To yeah. So yeah. So I, I think the the question becomes: Is the writer is Paul trying to say, hey? If you're going to go down this road, you need to stay on this road. And if you've tasted it and you move away, that's a bad deal. It's going to harden your heart. Or the guy was actually turned into a new creature and chose not to. I, being a new creature and going back to your old ways, to me, seems impossible based on the new creature metaphor. I personally think Hebrews 6 is related, is related to the whole uh, issue of, yeah. I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. I, I don't approach from an Arminian position, but it is a very powerful Arminian argument. It is. Yeah. There's no I, question. I don't mean to uh, be presenting it as, as an Arminian viewpoint, as if I'm Arminian, but just from, from, just a a question. Scriptural, from a scriptural yeah. viewpoint. Yeah. Uh, also, Peter also brings out a pretty clear argument in Second Peter 2 and 1. He says, but false prophets also will arise among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying... the master who bought them. You're jumping ahead. I, I just, I'm just going to read that one. Absolutely. That's a great one. Yeah. So this really, to me, this text speaks plainly that uh, when we, we conceptualize limited atonement, this tells me that that Messiah died to buy the, even these. That's where... Second Peter. Who are also destined to destruction. Second Peter. Here seems to encapsulate destined to destruction. Wow, this is like confusing. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, yeah. Fortunately, our our goal is not tonight to come to conclusion because I don't think it's possible to do so. Peter was an Armenian and a Calvinist. Well, <laughs> in the same verse. But, but through, through the knowledge of the Lord Yeshua, 
if they go back to their own ways is another place. Same deal. It's, it's also Second Peter. Um, Hebrews 2, 3, 4, 10, and 12 are used by the Arminians in this regard. Colossians 1, he is able to keep us if we continue in the faith. I mean, there's a lot of questions here. Uh, Romans 11, it seems, you know, you can be cut off. So, um, uh, there's a lot, a lot here that could indicate that you could be cut off after you become a new creature. And I just have trouble with that. And, you know, I, I question whether the writers are, are dealing with it from a, they seem to be with us. They seem to be a new creature. And we can't know, but we, we, we thought they were with us. And yet, this is what happened. Right? Um, perhaps the writer is writing in hope that he had died for them and so forth, just to continue the, you know, the, the deal with the Calvinism thing. Um, I think, uh, Revelation 3, I won't blot your name out of the book of life if you deny Yeshua, he will deny you. I mean, yikes. You know, are you in the faith or not? And, and how does that go? Um, I want you to know that I reconcile that by this method. And, and this may be simplistic, um, but here's, here's what I do, and I do it with every man in this class. I'm going to use Jonathan as an example, because we all know he's a booger, right? Sure. Okay. So I love, this, I love this kid like he's my own, and I would take him if I could. It's as simple as that. Right? But his dad will, will fight me. And it looks like he's a low to the ground <laughs> wrestler, and, I, and I'm going to lose, you know? i got to get away long enough to get a shot off. Yeah. So back to Jonathan. I, I look at Jonathan, and, and I'm impressed. It's as simple as that, and it's going out over the Internet now. I'm impressed with Jonathan Upham. I'm impressed with his walk. I'm impressed with his love for the Lord. I'm impressed with the demonstration of his faith in every regard and in every respect. It's as simple as that. Amen. His love of the Scripture, his love of the Lord, his love of the people of God and so forth, his desire to be with the people, his desire to come here. I mean, the guy is top shelf in my mind. He really is. So if, if he were to fall away in some way, my desire would be to do everything I could to help his father in every way I could to draw him back into the fold, hoping that it's nothing but a rebellious burr under his saddle. But if he should choose to reject Messiah entirely at that point, I would have to come to the conclusion over a period of time that perhaps he was just faking it all this time. I've been in this walk a long time. And the guys that are faking it, I have noticed, don't seem to be able to last that long. You know? And they don't want to put in the time and, and all, all that so that they, they show up sooner than later. Um, so my, my thing is, you demonstrate the faith. If you demonstrate in the faith, you walk in the walk. You confess it with your mouth. I'm just going to assume you're in the faith. I can't know your heart. You can know you're saved, but I can't know your heart. God knows. So until you demonstrate otherwise, I'll treat you like you're in the faith. It's as simple as that. And if I believe that you're in the faith, and then you mess up, I'm going to draw you alongside. And I'm going to want to say, hey, what are you doing, man? This seems inconsistent with our 
walk. This can, seems inconsistent with our faith and the, and the love of our Messiah. And if you don't want to have anything to do with that, then like Paul said, I'm going to go ahead and put you out. And I'm going to deliberately shun you in order that that pain, that sorrow of being outside, obviously outside, ostracized, will cause you to have a broken heart. And that will cause you to desire to repent. First to God and then to the body. Beyond that, I'm done. You know, I, I don't put any more faith in the theology one way or the other. I don't really care. I just know that I've never ever in my life ever heard of a, butterfly, uh, a worm that crawls in my backyard, climbs up that tree, turns into a butterfly, and then somehow or another got mistaken for a butterfly and actually was still a worm. It's never happened. You like this guy? I echo all of your comments about him. I mean, and I mean. But on this, 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 uh, to pick up on your last comments there about when we see somebody who uh, we thought, we believed, we treated as they were in faith, we see them stumble and fall, we go to them. Uh, we try to counsel, we try to pray, we, you know, whatever. And they continue in whatever area they're in. And at some point, we have to make the decision, right? Um, and we cut them off. And there's only, uh, you know, I, I've only been, you know, involved extensively in you know, just a handful of congregations, be it, you know, Christian churches or Messianic groups. You're talking about Texas? Yeah. Uh, Right. Yes. Yeah. This. Listen up. If you haven't heard this before, this is, to me, is what it's all about. So, um, and I know, like for example, before we came into you know Messianic Judaism, whatever you want to call it, we ran a church for eleven years. It was a pretty big church, about a thousand people, um, and there was always the kind of the the, the back chatter about who's sleeping with who, and this, that, and the other, you know. Yeah. And people knew stuff was going on, you know, and sometimes it would involve, you know, stuff that somebody in leadership or whatever. Nobody would ever say anything. Right. right? It was just kind of, you know, everybody put on their Sunday best. Sunday best. Sunday go to church. Sunday go to church. And Sunday go to meet and close. That's we, what those are. When we, uh, when God led us to Congregation Bethesda, We'd been there about, uh, I don't know, maybe nine months or so, so we were still pretty pretty new. And, uh, and uh, one Shabbat morning, we were there for service, and uh, uh, Rabbi Richard says, he gets to a point in service after, after the tour service and whatever, and he just kind of stops and he says, uh, he says, okay, so we've got some family business to take care of. He said, so visitors, if you're, if you're visiting here for the first time, just sit tight. Um, we've got some family business we've got to take care of. And there was, in, in this particular instance, there was you know, a, a young woman who had you know, um, fallen away and ended up moving in, you know, shacking up with a boyfriend, got pregnant out of wedlock, and you know, one of those situations, right? And, and this had happened, um, this had happened before... Out there, 
you know, and so she had been kind of asked to put out. Yeah, she'd been put out, but but in the in that time period that she was put out, she was so she wasn't allowed to participate in congregational activities or anything like that. But of course, the the rabbis kept a line of communication, you know, and when they saw that that she had um, demonstrated true repentance and, you know, and had started to receive some counsel, expressed an interest in kind of coming back into the fold or whatever, it was, it was, the, it was really just a beautiful picture because he said, all right, um, and he called this individual up and he said, you know, uh, some of you, you know, many of you know, some of you may not know, you know, there was this situation, he didn't give any details, he just said, you know, she, she had some issues, she fell away, and she hasn't been with us for a while, but now it's time to receive her back in. She's asked God for, for forgiveness, she's asked us for to give to forgive her, and we're we've forgiven her, you know, and it's and now it's time to rally around her, you know. And so they call her up and you know, the whole congregation gets up, walks up to the front and just surrounds her and just prays for her and they welcomed her back into the fold, you know. How cool and is that? that? Was, I was like Yes, that is actually the biblical. Duh. Holy cow! Eleven years, first time we've seen it. Yeah, and, and this was, you know, at that point I'd been a believer for thirteen years, you know, and never seen anything like that. Yeah. And to be honest, I I've never seen anything like that outside of that congregation, either, yeah. you know, or heard of it even in other congregations. So, uh, but that was just a beautiful picture of there's consequences, but. When that person does demonstrate true repentance, Absolutely. we don't have an option. We have an obligation Absolutely. to restore them back to the community. That's the if it never happens. Amen. That's okay. exactly right. Can I put a down on that? Go ahead. The reverse? Yeah. I won't take one. I've heard this story too. This was about 23 years ago. Oh, no, I didn't hear this one. <laughs> very large church. Very large church. Very vibrant, young, married, uh, and, uh, great Sunday school teacher, or whatever else. And uh, not because I wanted to know, but someone told me that one of the ladies in our group had lost her baby. And uh, then someone else, again, because not because I wanted to know, told me, no, she didn't lose her baby. She had it aboard. She was publicly pregnant. So I went to this, the husband. I called and said, you know, 